We're at lesson eight, assurance of salvation. Most important lesson in the class. <laughs> but you know, this one is pretty, pretty important. Um, you'd be surprised how many people who are Christians, call themselves Christian, but if you get along with them or you get down to nitty-gritty and talking with them, sometimes there's serious doubts. <clears throat> and, of course, that's evident that uh, we have old Satan at work. He wants you to, if he's going to try to get you to doubt anything, he wants you to doubt your salvation. So that's kind of what this lesson's all about. And I'll tell you a decision that I made uh, in trying to teach this lesson. I don't often want to try to just read what's in the lesson because you've read it to start with. But I want to go over this first page pretty good, just as it is. And then when we get over on the page two, I'm going to turn to the Bible. We're going to do quite a bit of Bible reading here this morning. Um, and we can skip that recap there, talking about what we've gone through in the last 15 weeks. But let's get down to this facts, faith, and feelings thing. For many people, feelings are the guiding factor in life. They feel something, they think it is real. If they do not feel anything, they think it is not real. But this is not according to God's order. Um, I think most of you are certainly old enough to remember a thing that was going on, in the, especially in the 70s, and I expected it went on for a good while past that and maybe still prevailing in some areas today, where the saying among our society was well if it feels good then it must be right you all hear that and if it, and it was even things from from music that basically said if it feels good do it <laughs> well that one got a lot of people in a lot of trouble <laughs> but we're taught our society teaches us to go by our feelings and and you'll even maybe be discussing something going on in your life with someone, and they'll say to you, well, how, how does it feel? That can be okay, as long as we have God at the center. I think we can talk about, well, you know, because maybe what's being said there is something along the lines of uh, how do you feel about it in your heart? How do you feel about it in relationship to God? Uh, what, what's your conscience have to say and so forth? But if we just go through life based on feelings, we're heading for trouble because feelings are fickle. <laughs> they will lead you astray. So that's kind of the point that I want to get here. Um, have y'all, maybe I'll just take a minute and do this. Let me go ahead and get my little train on the board, even though you may have seen it before. Uh, this, is, <coughs> this is kind of an important little guy. I'm not a very good artist. How's that for art? That pretty good? Hopefully you can tell what it is, right? It's a train. Set this out of the way for a minute. 
First thing I'm going to name is this back here. We're going to call this feelings. The question is, can the caboose pull the train? No. No, caboose can't pull that train, can't. It's long for the ride, that's all. How about if you fill that caboose up with coal? Even, even if you fill it up with coal and set it on fire, it's not going to go anywhere, is it? <clears throat> and let's call this one facts. Now that one can pull the train. That's what it's designed to do. But can it pull the train by itself? No. It's got to have fuel. It's, this coal is behind the, the engine for a reason, and that's because the, the engine has to have the coal. It's called a tender. Yes, it is called a tender. But that's, that little train is something that's helped me for several decades now. Keep that in mind with where are you going to put your faith? If you're going to believe something to the point where, you, where this is guiding your life, um, yeah, I believe that. Um, if you're going to put your faith in something, you need to know that it's a fact. <coughs> Bless your heart, huh? <coughs> and that kind of brings us to the first thing we, when, we, when we're studying God's Word we want to be sure that what we're studying is God's Word <coughs> you'll find a lot of stuff written out there that says it's from God's Word be sure be sure that what you're reading, especially when it comes to like Christian literature and so be sure that it lines up with God's word. If it's not, if it's not based, here's the facts. Here's the, here's the facts. And, um, and if you stop to think about it, we all know that it can be misconstrued. People can take things out of context. I'm going to tell you about something this morning that almost destroyed my life, did destroy my life for a number of years because I didn't know enough to have a particular scripture in context, knowing what it really said, believed part of it. So we have to be sure that what we, what we know as facts are facts. But once we know the facts, we can put our faith in them. Let me go back over here. A fact is something that is true. <laughs> For example, 2 plus 2 equals 4. This is a mathematical fact. It has always been true. It will always be true. Your believing it does not make it true. It is true even if no one in the world believes it. Facts are always true. You may not believe a fact, but it is still true. You may not feel that a fact is true, but it's still true. Um, there's a, there's a young fella that uh, is on Fox News, and uh, forget his first name, his last name is Waters. Y'all ever watch this guy that has what he calls Waters World? Yes. And he goes out and interview, interviews people on the street, and that's the part that I find interesting. He was on a college campus not too long ago, 
and I forget now his exact question, but he was he was questioning students about what they thought of the Bible and Christianity and so forth. First of all, it was amazing about how many of them simply didn't know anything and never been exposed to Scripture at all. But then he got to this one young lady, very attractive young woman, seemed to be a pretty smart girl. The problem was she thought she was smart. And she said, that whole thing is just a fairy tale. There's no truth in it. And anybody that would put any confidence in that's just got to be bereft of their brains and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, she said. <clears throat> and so he said something to her, and I forget just what it was, but it was along the lines of, um, would she change her mind or could she? She says, I'm not stupid. And I went, well, young lady, <laughs> you don't know just how stupid you are. But see, she's, she's been led, which is a problem in our American society. I don't know if all, many of you really remember. Take you back some. Dave and I are old enough to remember that right after World War II, the Russians let us know they weren't finished with us. The, and you'll remember that not long after that, we went into this thing we call the Cold War. The Russians said, we will own America. We will take over America. We will win. And they said that the way we're going to do it is through their educational system. We'll take over the educational system and we'll destroy America from within. And so far, they've been pretty successful because what they did is they began to infiltrate our schools. When Dave and I were in school, when I was trying to go to college in 1958, <clears throat> America was still the America that had just fought its way through World War II. And even though certainly not everybody was born again Christians, basically biblical, what, what we call Judeo-Christian ethics is what kind of ruled America. And, and everybody had this ethical system uh, set up that that's what they believed in and that's the way that they operated. <clears throat> I don't know if you remember the early 60s, but in the early 60s, we began to have upheaval on college campuses. Man, it was, it was bad. But what these college kids were saying was what they had been being taught and they were saying, that, that Christianity was um, with some words that I can use uh, racist and, uh, and that uh, it, it took away people's freedom they weren't free to and of course there's nothing more freeing than what God does for us but they wanted to be free from any moral obligation. They were everything, and that's kind of out of that. Then by the next decade, the 1970s is where it came. If it feels good, do it, and, and so forth. And so, so what happened was that, that our school system, and it's still true today, our school system is teaching 
something that's far removed from the America that existed prior to World War II. That's certainly it. So don't ever think that the Russians have stopped coming. <laughs> They're still coming. They're still coming. They're attacking us from within, and, and they're, they've, they're, well, I can, I can shut up. That's what I can do. Uh, but it's, it's really, really a problem. Uh, number two down there. The word faith is used in the Bible 239 times. This shows the importance God places on faith. The Bible makes it clear that all the blessings of God come to us by faith, Hebrews 11:6. But as important as faith is, it cannot stand alone. It must rest on something, and that something must be true. That is why our faith must always rest on God's word. Jesus said, thy word is truth. Number three, feelings are emotions such as joy, sorrow, happiness, and sadness. We should understand that feelings are quite different from facts and that facts never change while our feelings are almost always changing. Let me stop and go back there and say, let's talk about these words, joy, sorrow, happiness, sadness, and a bunch of others that you could add there and say, there's, there's nothing wrong with those individually, is there? As a matter of fact, one of the things that I'm going to be talking a whole lot about this morning is that first one, joy. There's nothing wrong with a feeling of joy. And certainly God wants us to be happy. Um, and, and you can't deny for someone like Danny Gilmore that there's a, a sadness that can come. There's nobody saying that there's anything wrong with Feelings. God made us emotional. It's part of the God's makeup. It's part of being made in the image of God. God shows us over and over again that he's emotional. Nothing wrong with having, matter of fact, I feel sorry for somebody that can't ever express emotion. It just feels like they've got to lock it all up inside and not ever show any emotion. The problem is, is when we start letting those emotions rule our lives, and, and uh, let's take that sadness as an example. It is so easy for someone to get so sad that they almost come to a place, and I think they often do come to a place where they think they'd be doing themselves or someone else a disservice to come out of the sadness. You understand what I'm saying? I hear not long ago, just forget just exactly when because my brother just passed away a few weeks ago but I guess it's been a year uh, since my old sister passed away her daughter my niece who's a lady in her 50s 60s now I guess feels like that that if she let go of of this constant sadness that she has because her mother's died, that she'd be doing her mother a disservice. She, she feels like that she's got to hang on to this loss. And there's people that are loving her enough to try to help her move on, but she's having a tough time with it. She's trying to hang on to that sadness and thinking that it's a good thing. Yeah. 
There is an amazing, amazing book out there by Charles Stanley called Emotions. Really? And it is one of the best books I've ever, ever read. It deals with guilt. I've got a copy if anybody wants to borrow it. I would love to borrow it. Uh, but it deals with emotions like sadness, guilt, uh, rejection. And I mean, it is just, I still go back. I keep it right by my chair in the living room, and I still go back and read sections of it all the time. It's I love the book. Okay. I, I like Charles Stanley. Um, I get I get stuff from him. I think it's, I've got all of his books, or I've read them at one time or another, but um, I think that's the best one I've ever read. Well, I'd love to have a copy of it. Okay. All right, turn to page two. And he's talking about assurance and the, the word and, and um, an assurance, the doctrine. And there's good stuff there. I, I hope that you've read it and that, um, or that you will read it. Um, the one I'll point out there is that just above the, where it says assurance of doctrine and that sentence just above it. It says, the righteousness of God is imputed to all who believe in Christ. Therefore, these are justified. Recognition of this brings peace and complete assurance to the heart. All right. The thing that I want to point out there is we'll be talking about that a lot in the coming weeks. We talk about imputed. We've already talked about it some. But it's when God takes something that you haven't earned and maybe even that you don't deserve and he just puts it over on you. It starts in, our, in, the, in the accounts of, of Abraham where if you really read Abraham and you get into Genesis and read through uh, the story of Abraham, uh, you'll find a real human mix. He's a good man. He was not such a good man. He did some things that really had you go, what? Uh, one of the examples is, is that when he went into it, Sarah was evidently a good-looking woman. <clears throat> and so they went into a foreign country, which was kind of common with them. He was nomadic, and he was always traveling. God had him, in fact, looking for a land. And he went into this land, and he was afraid that if the people knew that she was his wife, they would kill him in order to get to her. So he told her to let her tell everybody that she was his sister. Wasn't a complete lie, she was his half-sister, but she was all. Can you imagine, can you imagine a man saying, well, there's no children in here. Um, take her and have sex with her, she's my sister. She's not my wife. That's basically what this guy did. To me, that's a pretty ugly thing, pretty cowardly thing, that he was so afraid for his own life that he would put his, sister, his wife up to be treated that way. Whether or not that happened, we don't know, because pretty much these guys found out about it, and they came down on Abraham pretty hard. But I say that only to say this. He certainly wasn't a perfect man. But later on, you find that God does something with Abraham. Quite a few things, in fact. But Abraham had this tendency to believe God. 
started when they were still in, in uh, the area where they had, had been called home and, uh, and God told him, take your family and move from here. Abraham did. Carry that fast forward that about 80 years and, uh, and you find Abraham and he's got this son finally uh, born at a, when he was 100 years old and he's going to sacrifice this boy because God told him to. So Abraham's doing it. So Abraham believed God. The Bible tells us then that God accounted, uses the term, word account is what we get in English, and it's a term that is an accountant's term. It's talking about, he's just going to put it over here in the ledger under this column, that God accounted Abraham to be righteous because he believed God. Was Abraham righteous? Not in the least. Not in and on his own accord. But he believed God. And God accounted that to him as righteousness. Okay, guys. We're talking about assurance of salvation. Saying, uh, the righteousness of God is imputed. Same, same word. Uh, imputed to all who believe in Christ. Therefore, these are, these are justified. And I think I have a question for you. If, if anyone would doubt their salvation based on, I don't know, I, I don't pray good. I don't, I have trouble with this old past sin that hang, keeps hanging on. I don't, I don't know if I can just, I just, I fail every day. Um, I just really doubt if I really am a Christian. If, if that's happening, then what they're doing is making a liar out of God. If God gave it, who can take it away? Okay. And that's what we need to walk with. If God has given you righteousness, if God has said you're forgiven, then you are forgiven. You are forgiven. It's not something that can be gained and lost. God doesn't give it and then take it away. It would, it would indicate that he made a mistake and given it to you in the first place if he was going to take it away from you, wouldn't it? Not going to happen. Let's, get, let's let some scriptures do some talking to us. <clears throat> I, uh, I'm going to turn to reading a little bit, but before I do, I've, just, I've got a, a list of verses here that are related to imputed righteousness. And so I'll just read them. You won't have to turn to these. I'll, I'll get in a minute where, I'll, where we'll turn. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him, that is Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. There's a real tricky verse for you. you figure that one out. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. We can grasp that easy enough. But the reason is so that we might now become the righteous that Jesus wants. Blow your mind if you're not careful. Philippians 3.9 says, And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. So we're... <laughs> 
the righteousness which is of the law, we can't, we can't deal with that. We're not ever going to get there. Is the law good? Certainly. Should we be trying to keep the law? Yeah. We need to be living our lives according to what we know to be right and wrong in the Word of God. The law gives us that knowledge of right and wrong, but that's not what gives us our right standing with God. What gives us our right standing with God is that Jesus Christ took on our sin so that we could take on his righteousness. That's the exchange. 1 Peter 2.24 who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Um, there's, a, um, there's a thing that's called um, lordship salvation. Let me share with you that there is a, a need for us to make Jesus Christ the Lord of our life. But we need to understand a, a really important difference here. And that is that the, what comes first, don't get the horse before the cart. What comes first is salvation. What comes first is God pulling you back into a right relationship with him, reconciliation to God through the fact that we have believed that Jesus Christ paid the debt for our sin. And, and because of this exchange that we've been talking about, then what is imputed to us is his righteousness. We didn't earn it. That has to be first and foremost that we understand that we didn't earn it. I like to use this term. And that is, when you've become a child of the king, you have an obligation to act like it. So that's where the lordship comes. There are people who will teach you that if you have not made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, you have not been saved, and, and um, there is so much that can be looked into with that and say that it has merit because any born-again believer, anyone who has realized what this exchange is, of exchanging sin for righteousness and putting the sin on him and the righteousness, once you've accepted that fact, then it it will do something in your heart. And, and what it does in your heart is that it makes you want to be conformed to the image of Christ. And that's what the scripture says. And so we need to be conformed to the image of Christ. We need to be able to start living a godly life. We need to live out the righteousness that's been imputed to us. We need to make Jesus Christ the Lord of our life. It's one of the, I guess I could say, it's the first thing that a born-again believer should do. But don't get it mixed up. Don't, don't think that making Jesus Lord is what saved you. No, what saved you while you were dead in your trespasses, he died for you. And that's the scripture, that while we were still in our sin, he died for us. We didn't earn this thing. 
We didn't earn this thing. But then we have an obligation to make him the Lord of our life. And that's an important teaching, guys. That's really vitally important. Yes, dear. I just wanted to, to say, like, I guess in my life specifically, how that's played out is like when I was 23, I gave my life to Christ again. I, you know, however you want to put that, because I grew up in church. But at 23, I did. And I would say that if most people saw the way that I was living my life at that time, even right after I gave my life to Christ, people would be like, um, she's probably not a believer. But slowly, one like bit by bit, God has just worked in areas of my life and refined me, and I mean, he'll continue to do so. But I don't think that like today, because my mindset has been, my mind's been renewed in, in so many ways that I'm more saved today than I was, you know, at 23 when I said, okay, <laughs> you know, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want, I want to follow you, even though I didn't fully, you know, grasp it yet. And God's so patient with us. I mean, I don't think God grows us up from, from the time we accept, well, he's growing us up from the time we're born, but from the time we accept him, he's continuously until we die, he's growing us up. Exactly. He's growing us into, because I, I can totally agree with, well, and, and it's an ex excellent and important point because we're going to be, I just looked, it's like two weeks from now. We're going to be getting into a word called sanctification. It's a thing that God does for us. What, it, it's called being conformed to the image of Christ. That's what sanctification is, but it's not an instantaneous thing. God continues to sanctify us all the days of our life especially all the days of our Christian life. He's working and working and working to conform us to the image of Christ. I mean, if you think about it, some people don't get saved till late in life. I mean, That's exactly right. You know, but still, he starts from that point until you meet him doing his work. Even if you're 60 when you're saved, he's still going to do what he knew he was going to do. You just didn't. <laughs> that, that's, that's a real good point yeah it's like how many people have been saved on the deathbed right and, and, and we know that it's happened it does happen, can happen one of the reasons why we ought to be in hospitals um, one of the things that I'm hoping that I'll have time to do here eventually maybe even as part of the ministry that we're launching is that I want to have time to visit with people wherever they are, not just in jail, but in the hospital. Um, because you never know but why, why somebody lying on their deathbed would finally come to a place where they'll accept Jesus as their Savior. And, and let's be sure we understand something. And what they're accepting, what they're accepting is this exchange. That, that their sin is put on him. And that out of love, he took it, took it to the cross. What a horrible, what a horrible death. In order that his, let me use some different words, his goodness, his life, his everlasting life, his eternal life, all of these things are then what's put over onto the person who simply says, I believe that he went to that cross for me and my sin. Why? Why you can't you can't 
find a more enormous gift than that. Praise God. Uh, I, th I think I'm going to change my mind about something. There's so much here that can be uh, read. Uh, well, let me, let me just drop down to the bottom of my list. I am going to go ahead and read. You can turn to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4 says, But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted as righteousness. Now that's in one sentence all that I've been trying to say. But let me return to Romans chapter 4 there. Let's just read for a while. I got stuff in my Bible for this morning. Sermon, so I'm not as organized as I needed to be here. <clears throat> Actually, I'm going to, I'd read there in Romans 4 or 5, but I'm going to drop back to verse 3. We had talked about verse 2, in fact, talking about Abraham. For if Abraham was justified by works, he would have something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now remember, guys, as we read through this, the, our, our subject here is assurance of salvation. Realize that once you're saved, it cannot be taken from you. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from work. Quoting, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. <laughs> Praise God. Verse 9. Does the blessedness then come upon the circumcised only? Are upon the uncircumcised, and I guess I could skip down a little ways from there because it's talking about the Jew versus the Gentile. Uh, <clears throat> let's go to verse 13. Talking about, we've been talking about Abraham again. Verse 13 says, For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or his seed through the law but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void, and the promise is of no effect. Because the law brings about wrath, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed not only to those who were of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. Let me skip some more. Let me get them down where I really want to go. Um, Four twenty-two. Yes, let's get down to, to verse 22. Uh, verse 21, excuse me. 
And being fully convinced that what he had promised he was also able, able to perform, and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness, what, that he believed, that he was convinced. Verse 23. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. Isn't that something? But for us, also for us, it shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised up because of our justification. Verse, verse 1, chapter 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, well, we ought to just, we could just stop right there and say if, we're, if the subject is assurance of salvation, if we want to be sure that, that, that we're in right standing with God, we want to be sure that, that heaven is ours, we're assured of that. Take it home. It's locked up. See, right there, verse five, chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. I'm glad we have, <laughs> we have peace with God. Part of my testimony this morning is I lived through a long period of time where I, uh, I was not at all sure that I had a right standing with God. Uh, through whom we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance produces character and character produces hope. And let me let me pause. I'm going to stop reading right there. I got this time. I want to tell you a story. And uh, and there's maybe other places where this is really important. And I don't think I've told it in this session. Have I talked to you guys about refining gold or silver? I guess not. Okay. Uh, there's a story of some ladies in a ladies' Bible study, and they were talking about being refined as gold. And the Bible talks quite a bit about us being refined as gold. And, and several Old Testament scriptures point to, to God the Father as the refiner, as a refiner of gold and silver. And so as these ladies talked about this, they decided, we really ought to find out more about this is really being said here. So the one lady says, I know, I know a man that works with silver. She, he, he refines silver. I said, let me go talk to him. So she went to him at his shop. And while she was there, he was working on refining silver. And he had taken in front of her some raw ore and put it in this particular thick kind of bowls that they use for really extreme temperature and it, it won't melt. And he's cooking this ore and talking to her. And you got to turn this fire turn up, man, it's blazing hot. And the, and the, the ore gets melted and begins to cook. And as it begins to cook, this nasty, ugly stuff comes to the top. And he calls it dross. 
And he simply takes a wooden board, he's got a place where it goes, and he skims that dross off the top. And he keeps cooking. And more impurities boil to the top, and he skims it off. Keeps calling it dross, that's the dross. And he keeps doing this, and more and more and more, you're beginning to see silver in this pot. Keeps scrapping, taking all that impure stuff off, scraping it off. And boil some more, and boil some more. And she's, she's been sitting there a long time. And so finally she says to him, how do you know when you're finished? And he said, oh, that's easy. When I can look in the pot and see myself. What's being said here, guys? God's going to boil you like silver. What does that mean? That means in, in, in the pot that we're in, in this life that we live, things are going to be sometimes pretty hot. And we'll sometimes question God, what are you doing? Ah! It hurts. And I don't understand. But God's conforming us to the image of Christ. When God can look at us and see a reflection of himself, and more and more and more, and you're talking about that, and you were, that it, a little at a time, a little at a time, but he works with us. He's always working with us. Is that mean that he boils us to the point that these impurities come to the top? That's, <laughs> That's the only way to get rid of them, isn't it? He boils them to the top. And, and, and is that a pleasant process for any of us? No. No. And so we, we can say, life is hard. <laughs> I'm going to tell you what. At my age now, and Brother Dave, Brother Dave been serving this. I didn't introduce you to the rest of you. I wanted to. Uh, Brother Dave is a man that's been walking with me and my ministry for a long time now. Brother Dave has been instrumental in the Christian community and here in the Stanton area for uh, almost as long as he is old. And he's, of course, he's still pretty young. <clears throat> but Dave and I are good friends. And when I started doing this jail ministry and, and needing funds, Dave came to my rescue. He gives me money. He brings me reams of paper, brings me cases full of paper, brings me postage stamps, Lord, do I go through postage stamps. I'll go through anywhere from $60 to $100 worth of postage stamps a month. Dave brings me postage stamps. He's a good man. I don't have time to get into some of the things in Dave's life, but I can tell you as a child, he was as mistreated as any child I've ever heard of. But God has a servant. God will put us through things that we won't understand, but we have to have faith. And I'll tell you, that's what I started to say about my age now, is that I'm finally to an age and a place where when things get tough and rough, and, and I'm going, oh. Down deep inside, I know that God's at work. What we were talking about this morning in my life, God's at work. 
Maybe he's not working so much on me as he's working on somebody else, but he's working. And when I think things are a little bit tough, well, maybe I just need to see myself as in that pot. And he's not being mean. He's not. He's loving me enough to make me pure. I want to follow, just follow up with one comment Good. about what May said. Um, isn't it simply one of the greatest blessings that we are given when we're saved that we don't have to worry about what other people think of us and how they view us and how they view what we've done, what we're going to do. Um, it doesn't matter because we know through his salvation what we actually are. We know through his word what we've become and what he's made of our life. And we don't have to worry about how other people see us. That's true. That's one of the greatest things that I have learned in my Christian you know, is that all these things that, that always bother people about what other people say or what they think or whether they think you're saved or not, guess what? It doesn't matter what they think. It's true. That's, That's right. true. Yeah, and a lot of us spend a lot of time worrying about what other people That's right. think. And, and really the only, the only entity that we need to worry about is God. Uh, if, if we're pleasing God and everything else just has to fall into place and if somebody doesn't like the way we're doing then, then it's, it's beyond our need to care anybody else we still got about three minutes Dang. Uh Dr. Stanley has a terrific book on born again staying born uh, I've, got the, I've got that book I've heard some old time Christians say you can jump out of your salvation mm -hmm. You can jump out. I don't believe it. No. Dr. Stanley don't believe it, and he put out a pretty good book on I've that. I've got that book, too. I you can't remember it. the title yes. of it right now, but it's great. Eternal but, Security. Yeah, Eternal Security. That's it. Eternal Security. Yeah. Good, good title. Yeah. And, I, and I guess that that's what I've hoped. I'm, I'm looking at the clock, guys. We've still got a couple of minutes. I hope we're closing prayer in a second. But to me, that's the important message about this lesson that we were on today is that this is where Satan will first attack. It's where other people won't understand. It's where we may struggle. And it's therefore so vitally important that we come to the place where we understand that this salvation is not something we earned. And if we didn't earn it, we can't lose it. It was given to us. It's given to us by one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever what? Believe. believe. That word believe is so vitally important. It is, it is important to every aspect of our life. We make decisions day in and day out on what we believe. Do I believe I can jump off of a tall building and survive? I'm doing nuts. Uh, so, so we believe that I can't fall off of that building because I'm going to die. So what do we do? We protect ourselves. And, and every, that's a, maybe a strange illustration, but every day the things we believe determine what we do. And God knew that. 
God knew that if he could just bring us to a point where we believe, what did it say about Abraham? He believed God and God accounted it to him as righteousness. We believe that Jesus went to that cross for us and God accounts it to us. He puts it on our account. It's in the ledger book. And a ledger book that God's got somewhere, it's got down there that Jeff is righteous. God right standing with God. He's saved. He's a child of God. Yeah. No, don't let anybody ever take that away. It can never be erased. Huh? It can never be it can erased. Never be erased. world you need him to be 